0: Welcome to The Common Share, a podcast about cooperative businesses. I'm Mesa Marshall with Cooperatives First, an organization that promotes cooperative business development in rural and Indigenous communities across Western Canada. For more information on us and what we do, you can visit cooperativesfirst.com. If you need resources for starting your own co-op, you can check out our Co-op Creator website at coopcreator.com. This great resource site has everything you need to get your co-op up and running. In this episode, I was able to speak to Cecile Green and Rebecca Fisher-McGinty from consulting firm Round Sky Solutions. Round Sky is a worker co-op that trains cooperative leaders in democratic self-managing processes. So Cecile is one of Roundsky's co-founders and she holds a bachelor of science in community supported agricultural systems and has over 2 decades of experience in entrepreneurial environments. Cecile provides training and facilitation to organizations from hospitals to colleges, small businesses to nonprofits. She's also the author of the book Collaboration that Works: A Ruthlessly Practical Handbook in a Generative World. Rebecca is Roundsky Solutions' communications wizard. She has a bachelor of science in environmental policy from UC Berkeley. I experience working in community and environmental organizations responding to climate change and injustices. She currently lives in New Orleans, where she's a community organizer. So I was lucky to have a really interesting conversation with Cecile and Rebecca. Cecile, as one of the co-founders of Round Sky, said that the creation of the business was motivated by a question of what makes for high-performing teams. Research shows that being able to effectively collaborate boosts an organization's overall bottom line. And so I spoke to Cecile and Rebecca about the unique attributes and challenges of leadership, specifically in co-ops. Cecile and Rebecca are both based in the United States, and we connected over a conference call. So please excuse the quality of the audio in this one. We think you'll still enjoy the conversation. Can you tell us a bit about what is Round Sky Solutions and, and what do you guys do? Yeah, we'd, we'd love to.
1: So we are a, a worker-owned co-op that, that trains cooperative leaders in democratic so. Of managing processes. And, and in doing so, um, we find it really strengthens cooperative leadership throughout an organization, not just the leader that we're training. We, we really began because we were motivated by this question of what makes for uh, high-performing teams.
2: And just to contextualize that and what what we do is so our strategic initiatives for the last couple of years and the next are supporting cooperative leaders through our training, our online training. And the training really focuses on those key things that are needed for teams to be functional and self-managing and also agile so they can make decisions quickly, even in a collaborative environment. So that's our main initiative. And then we also have webinars and different resources that we offer the community. So those those are our main things. And it's worked out really wonderfully. It's incredible to meet different cooperative leaders from really across the world.
0: That's great. And so can you expand a little bit more on why you focus your work on co-ops and other mission-driven enterprises, as you mentioned on your website?
2: Sure. I can I can start and then I'll pass it to Cecile. And so I think one of the really important parts of a co-op is that it's operating and legally functioned in collaboration and democratic management as one of the principles of cooperatives on a personal level there's so much more meaning in work when we are the owners over it both legally and functionally mm-hmm. so i think that's one of the things that really brought me to round sky was wanting to be a part of a cooperative and also wanting to do it well mm-hmm. and it feels like one of the co-founders you want to speak more about why you started it that way
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, cooperatives have a long history, actually, and it's a very important history that has created really a legal model that enables us to distribute ownership and accountability across an organization, in contrast to what most corporations, you know, how they operate. The the issue that we found, the sort of the gap that we're leaning into as an organization, is that the legal structures don't usually address or don't fully address everyday participatory management leadership and um, challenges. And so those are basically left to be sorted out on the ground. And over the decades and through research and practice, patterns in effective participatory leadership and management have emerged. And CoLab has synthesized some of the best of those into a simple set of learnable communication practices that answers some of the key questions about how do we share power in a daily, real-life way and so that we can actualize this principle, this value of wanting to share ownership and accountability and really ground it into everyday life. And so we want to really work with cooperatives because they're already based in this value of, hey, let's share power together. Um, and have answered some of that, especially on a legal level, creating, creating that format, which is recognized broadly. But, you know, speaking into that gap of how do we actualize this in our day to day lives? Mm-hmm.
0: Is leadership different in cooperatives than in other businesses or organizations? Are there certain approaches you think that apply to that particular model?
1: Well, it's a really interesting question, So I think I, what, what I find is that a lot of cooperatives just use traditional management structures and don't really actualize their full potential in that regard, um, and that in in order to operate in a cooperative manner, there are some basic things that are really different, um, even simple things, like you wouldn't even think something as simple as how do we build our agendas together uh, can either be done autocratically, top-down, boom, here's our agenda, let's just go versus uh, let me hear from everyone here, what's on your mind, you know, how could we be better as a team? So even something that simple um, can create a really foundational shift for a team, for an organization. And so yeah, there are really uh, key ways of leading cooperatively that are pretty different from conventional management. Mm
2: -hmm. And I'll just add on that, I think that cooperative leaders There's a lot of different terms that are out there like servant leadership and like those kinds of things where the leader is seen as more of a servant to their team. And I think that's even different than cooperative leadership because I think that we're in cooperative leadership. We have to be able to listen to each other and also show up. It's not just about serving your team as a leader, but it's also about Following through is an important cooperative leader skill, which is not, um, which is kind of simple, but it's really core and doesn't happen often in teams like that follow through the accountability.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. So can you guys talk a bit about your process for helping groups through the sorts of issues that they face?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so primarily we train individual leaders from different organizations uh, together in a, in a course. It's an online course. And we are conveying sort of these skills in, in our sessions and then practicing them together on the calls, as well as then the leaders take those into their teams and put them into action And come back with results and questions. And so it's very, very practical. Uh, And some of the common themes that emerge across the students um, as to why they take our course are really wanting to have a restored trust around accountability. You know, one of the common mistakes we find in organizations that are trying to behave cooperatively on the ground is that accountability becomes this really murky thing, right? When you're in a conventional top-down organization, the manager is the person who's gonna hold you accountable and you are going to meet one-on-one with them and and things are going to go well or they're not, but it's only between you and your manager. Whereas, you know, when you broaden accountability out to an entire team, sometimes the mechanisms behind how to do that collectively, collaboratively are are sort of lost. And so that really undermines trust across the team if, if you don't have effective accountability. And so... Restored trust is around accountability, especially as one key hallmark of folks who take our courses. Another is that ability to communicate effectively in the midst of conflicting perspectives and experiences. So conflict happens. It's a natural part of being human. We each have different perspectives. And if we're actively trying to take those different perspectives into account, we're inevitably gonna face these moments where it's emotionally tense, there are lots of different perspectives, and the ability to remain calm, grounded, and effectively communicate and synthesize those perspectives is a really valuable tool. So those are a few of the issues that Rebecca, I don't know if you want to build on that in any way.
2: Sure. I think another thing is that in some of our teams, they have a hard time with just to piggyback off of that idea of conflict being inevitable in teams. They have a hard time disagreeing with each other that they might step on somebody's toes or they're not ready for that different experience to be out there. They just They just want to be good cooperators, like just go with the flow. And some of the leaders that have come to us have said that they want their team to be able to be honest and to share like what they actually want instead of everyone just kind of going with the flow. They want them to take up leadership. So Our training helps them to kind of encourage and pull out the ways that people can show up in their team. And another thing that people talk about, which aren't the most fun areas, is just better meetings. There's a reason that we have all these stereotypes of horrible meetings and spending our lives and hours in meetings and the ways that our approach really makes meetings more effective and purposeful. So it's not like you're in a meeting forever and you don't know when it will end, but it's very purposeful. And I think that is energizing for our students' team.
0: And I know you've talked about how there's a power matrix that you use that's an effective tool for facilitating what you do. Can you talk a little bit more about what that is and how how it is useful?
1: Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. Um, So just as part of a, a larger context, the power matrix is one of three tools that we use at a theory level, um, and then teach in, in practice, and so it, it's simply um, a a matrix: a vertical line, horizontal line. The vertical line uh, at the top, we have autonomous power. At the bottom, we have collective power. And autonomous power, for example, might be a solopreneur who gets to decide what their logo is, right? They have, they have autonomy over a certain domain of decisions. Um, collective power is the power that flows from uh, an entire team or perhaps an entire nation. Uh, so that's the power that comes from many. And then the horizontal axis is on the, on the left-hand side, there's implicit power. On the right-hand side, there's explicit power. And implicit power is power that's usually sort of under the covers or behind the doors. It's not necessarily negative, right? But there's power that comes from things like our personalities, our gender, our race, the skills that we've been able to integrate. And an example for you know for the implicit power might be the, the power that a strong personality has to sway a decision, right? Or it could be the power that I have because I'm an expert in a certain domain and I, I can talk on and on about it, right? Explicit power is the power that comes from our socially sanctioned roles. And so in our larger society, a policeman pulling you over for a ticket, that's explicit power. In our teens, the person who's the website manager, that's their job, very clear boundaries around what they can and can't do, that's explicit power. And we really use this map to analyze situations to identify in what direction things could shift for a team in order to be more generative. So typically we take situations where problems are happening and we can analyze it to identify what might need to shift. Um, And the other use the power matrix has is that it it really forms the basis for how we uh, move the agenda items forward in a meeting. And so we're basically taking the challenges we have, and using the communication practices that we teach, and we're moving that challenge forward, usually by making something in, explicit that was implicit before. Mm-hmm. And that is typically clarifying and improving the boundaries between what is autonomous power and what is collective power. So happy
0: to give more examples if that'd be helpful, but
1: in a nutshell, is how what it is and how
0: it works. Yeah, I was going to follow up just asking if there are some, some tangible examples of situations you've seen this work in.
2: So one example is a situation where maybe two people are working on one assignment together. They're working on a project together to put on an event. And they keep butting heads, they keep getting in conflict around decisions, like I want it this way, the other person wants it this way, and they're cooperating together to make it happen, but they're just these little things that keep getting in the way. And so they're kind of working within this collective implicit power because they're supposed to make the decision together. And to fix this situation, one option is to create more autonomous power for each of them and make it more explicit so that they know who has the power to do what, because maybe those decisions don't need to be made together Mm -hmm. so that they're no longer competing or redoing each other's work. So that's kind of an example where the collective gets in the way, where the competing decisions and competing roles get too convoluted. So we need to make it more explicit about who actually has power to do what here so it's not slowing us down.
0: And so when you're working with groups, is is there sort of a a path that you follow to help them identify the issues and how to deal with them? Or is is it a very case-by-case sort of basis where each group really goes through a different process?
1: Oh, it's a fascinating question. It's really both. It's both. There is is a, a set of meeting practices that are the foundation or the heartbeat of how this works. And those practices are are standard across different teams, but within those practices is built this, we call it a tension surfacing process with tension being uh, not a negative, but the difference between where we are and where we want to be. And so it could be a great new idea, just basically anything on your mind brings um, the unique uh, things that are present for that team forward. And then on that basis, the team is, is using the tools to process those, um, those tensions into incremental improvement, incremental movement forward. And basically, through applying this set of meeting practices over and over again, a team can start wherever they are and move to wherever is better for them, which is completely unique. Of course, team to team, organization to organization, the, con- the issues are going to be different. Mm-hmm. Um, but the structure enables them to to collaboratively work through those issues much more reliably, much faster, usually much more satisfying ways.
0: And so you, you had talked about some of the issues that you see, but do you have sort of a top five most frequent issues that come up in within organizations um, that you tend to work on? There's definitely more than five, yeah. <laughs> but let's start with uh, rapid collaborative
1: decision-making. I was just talking with someone this morning who was like, wow, you know, we just can't make decisions. It takes forever. And this is in a team that's trying to use consensus, right, which is often where, you know, if teams really want to be cooperative, they usually try consensus. And and there's limitations. Consensus is wonderful, but it has some limitations. And so being able to have a decision-making tool that includes consensus but transcends its limitations Really helpful. Uh, And so being able to take issues uh, and process them collectively if they need to be decided on collectively and and be able to rapidly come to a decision and be like, this is good enough for now. We're going to put this into action. We'll see if we need to change it later is really usually a breakthrough for for a lot of the, the teams we're working with. And that's true. It's interesting. It's true for either top-down or, um, you know, overly horizontal organizations. You know, in top-down organizations, you tend to get decisions where it's more groupthink. People just rush to consent because they're afraid of the conflict and don't want to go there. And so this process enables people to bring forward their perspectives and see them as being valued, even if they're different than what's on the table.
2: And and it takes it, a lot of our co-ops, they use voting, and maybe a majority, or or they get to consensus. And that can, doesn't always, but on particularly heated issues, it can kind of create a binary around for or against uh, whatever the proposal is. And this, this can get, this can lead to divided cooperatives, it, it, and it has. And there's a way that we can use our decision-making so that it's, more integrative of, of different perspectives rather than yes or no or, or for or against. And I think that using these different ways of making decisions can be really important when it's especially heated and there's, it's more complex than yes or no for some people mm-hmm. in that decision-making.
1: I'll mention um, clear priorities, both individually and as a team. This is a really common one, often shows up as overwhelm, Personally, and at the team level, it shows up also as overwhelm, but also sort of a a a lack of momentum. Right, we're getting we're getting pulled off in way too many directions, and it can literally be physically painful. (laughs) So, uh, common issue, real common issue, and so we work on two levels with teams. We work on the individual level making sure that that each uh, leader that we're training has a clear method for tracking their projects and tasks and being able to align them with the team priorities. And that touches on the team, having a clear process for developing your team priorities and keeping them relevant and up-to-date as needed. It's super critical uh, because then we know whether Joe's you know, project to revamp our branding is in line with the current team priorities. It may have nothing to do with the team priorities currently and therefore should not be something he's putting his time into, but being able to have that conversation coherently and efficiently can be very difficult in teams um, that don't have an effective prioritization process together.
2: Well, another thing that people come to us, and I had mentioned this a little bit earlier, is the efficient and effective meeting. So people come to us with questions around how to facilitate their meetings so that people are engaged or so that they can have a clear, a clear way to make decisions together or to move whatever agenda items they have forward. So we have processes that help the facilitator to guide their team as they're moving through the different things that are coming up in their work. So that's been a big one that people need because our meetings are where a lot of our communications happen.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, I just mentioned another one that's really important to people is interpersonal conflict. How do you deal with that emotional You know, conflict that can happen on teams. What you do with that is so that it doesn't just fester and become worse or you know, blow up and all of a sudden, you know, people are leaving the organization. So how to safely manage that emotional conflict between people. And there are some really key skills that enable people to take those charged moments and, you know, share them with each other and leave feeling like the relationship has been restored, that each person has been respected, their perspective has been validated, their experience has been, you know, really given given airtime and, and empathy and compassion and and at the end of it, we're walking away with uh, a, you know, a clarified sort of emotional experience with each other. And usually some other uh, piece of um, clarity for the organization, for example, often interpersonal conflicts arise because we don't know who's responsible for what. And I assume Paul is responsible and Paul assumes I'm responsible. And, you know, we start getting into it with each other emotionally, but really, at the heart of it, if we just made our roles clear, ah, all of a sudden, the, that emotional conflict just basically evaporates.
2: And that really leads to the fifth the fifth item or the fifth challenge that our cooperatives face is getting that accountability and ha- how to have collaborative accountability without someone who is their check-in person. So we have a, some tools to help people to continue to move their work forward together and and it's a way of also checking in about what they were accountable to and how that's going. And that has been really effective as creating this new new space for people to have accountability from what our society tells us before, right? We have a teacher that we give our work to. Mm-hmm. Um, then we go to a job and we have... We have a boss that we give our work to or we report to. So that changes, the whole thing changes when we get into cooperatives. And so that, so we've provided a tool to help people give that accountability and continue moving their work along without having someone to
0: check in with them necessarily. Interesting. So it helps helps to move that going. And do you find that most of your work applies Largely to worker cooperatives, or do you think these strategies work for any sort of co-op, whether it's producer-consumer, those kinds of things as well?
1: Uh, so far, we've seen that this tool works in any kind of cooperative, from you know small startup worker co-op to uh, you know large credit union co-op uh, to food food co-ops. Uh, so it 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 appears to work in in all kinds of contexts.
2: Mm-hmm. I think part of the reason for that is is we've created this tool that takes the best of both worlds, the best of collaboration, the innovation, the creativity, the humanistic part of it, with the clarity of hierarchy. So the clarity and structure that helps businesses run, that's the the piece that's so great in hierarchy. So bringing those two together can really help us be effective in our cooperatives, whether they're worker cooperatives or consumer cooperatives, so maybe less democratically managed within the the workspace. So they can be shifted to whatever that team needs with this conversation around power being really the heartbeat of it and where we want that to lie. And that's pretty, we see power as neutral, So it has worked in so many different contexts.
0: And I know you you must have different tools that work in different situations, but do you have some general advice for groups? If they're just trying to figure out and identify what the issue is, is there some starting place that's common, regardless of what the issue might be? Yeah, well, uh, I think there's at
1: least two things I'd mention. One is that As part of that set of tools that I mentioned at the beginning, we have this this tool that identifies seven different work conversations that are already happening. And so just to give you a sense of what those seven conversations are, there's purpose, which is our mission, vision, and values. There's business model, which is all about how we exchange value with our environment. There's strategy, which is about our priorities, how are we going to get to that vision we have? There's governance, which is about who has power for what, um, within what policies and guidelines. There's operations, really about our daily details, the work we're getting done every day. There's interpersonal, that emotional territory between people. And then there's personal development, which is our capacity as as individual leaders. We take individual problems that are surfacing, right, or tensions, and we we help a team sort into which of those seven conversations does this most naturally fall. And then based on which conversation it's falling into, we have a different set of processes that work for each different conversation. And that sort of gives them a direction to go. It's basically like, you know, putting numbers through a formula. It's not, not quite that simple, obviously. But basically, a set of process tools that if they use, they will get to an output. They will get to a concrete output at the end of that that incrementally moves that tension forward. And then the underlying assumption here is that this is a practice. We're going to keep doing this. And so if for some reason we need to revisit that, we will. But that sort of gives us the, the territory that that we can we can dive into pending depending on where the issue tends to lie.
2: There's so much in what Cecile just said. The only thing I'll add is that I think starting where you are and not flipping over everything overnight. It's mm-hmm. important to under underline that aspect of what Cecile said of We're going to go about this a little step, move things incrementally forward and really think about how do we want our team to be? Where is it and how do we want it to be? And that right there can tell us a lot about where we want to go.
0: And I guess the last question I wanted to ask you guys was about the fact that you are also yourselves a cooperative. Can you talk about why your organization is a co-op and what you like about that model? We believe in co ops,
1: not just from a historical perspective, but also in terms of the transformation it can bring to communities and regions. It's a very powerful model, and so for serving co ops, being a co op ourselves makes sense. It also really aligns with our values of we're here to share power, um, and we 're here to model and create and disseminate a model for how we practically do that day to day and so being able to use those tools in our own organization has been profoundly valuable. we wouldn't be where we are without using our own tools, but it also helps us develop those tools and continue to evolve them so that they can be the best set of tools possible.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think to take you back off of that, in my experience, I really went toward cooperatives because of that idea of power and sharing power. I had worked in a lot of nonprofits, and I just felt like they weren't serving the need that I wanted to put my energy into, to put my 40 hours a week into. Mm -hmm. And so I think cooperatives are really just both ancient and new way to to get at the needs that having a business would serve so I think that's really key to the way that I want to be in the world and the world to change to be more cooperative.
0: Was there anything else either of you would like to add that you think is important to, to mention? Yeah, I think
1: it was just crossing my mind that the importance of how practical this is, the importance of how this work is, is really practically applicable in everyday work life. I know it's super important for me as I was beginning to dig into this material, um, that there's coming up with new ideas about how we could be different and creating new principles for how to do that. Uh, it's essentially insufficient. It's necessary. It's necessary and important, but insufficient to daily life.
0: And so having the practices, I think, is a really key step thank you so much for this this is fantastic yeah thank you thanks for hosting us thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the common share to learn more about round sky solutions you can visit their website at roundskysolutions.com to give us your thoughts on any of the topics we discussed you can find cooperatives first on facebook or on twitter as at co-ops underscore first we'll be back in a couple weeks with another episode of the common share